Welcome to a special episode of The Gaggle. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I'm a national political reporter for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And I'm Ron Hansen. I'm also a national political reporter and co-host of The Gaggle. This year, Ron and I worked on season two of the Republic's podcast, Rediscovering. We explored the events leading up to and following the passage of Senate Bill 1070 in Arizona. Governor Jen Burr is coming out right now. Her decision very closely scrutinized. We're going to know it right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for being here today to join me as we take another step forward in protecting the state of Arizona. The Show Me Your Papers law was met with pushback from Latino organizers, grassroots activists, DACA recipients, and more. The sun is hot in Arizona. We are changing the state capital. But nothing like the political heat on Arizona Governor Jan Brewer. It's a racist law. It's causing discord in Arizona. We need your help. That pushback didn't end after SB 1070 was signed. Latino activists continued to organize. They pushed for voter registration. They rallied around local candidates. They helped elect Democrats like Sheriff Paul Penzone and Kirsten Cinema. Even with my coworkers, I'm just like, don't forget to vote. You know, it's really important, especially if we want to see a change. If we really do want to see a change, we need to go out and vote. And now the 2020 election has come and gone. For the first time since 1996, Arizona voted for a Democrat for president. Joe Biden's narrow victory was the work of multiple voting blocks and a confluence of events that made for an unforgettable year and an election cycle that will be looked back on for decades to come. But in the immediate aftermath, we wanted to revisit some of the voices from rediscovering SB 1070. In today's episode of The Gaggle, we're bringing you a sample of our epilogue. You'll hear from Tony Valdivinos. Tony is a Democratic organizer and DACA recipient who was called to action by SB 1070. As we saw these results, people had a reason to come out to vote this year. Uh, the biggest prerogative is getting them to have a reason to show up on every election. You'll also hear from Chuck Coughlin. In 2010, Chuck was an advisor to Republican Governor Jan Brewer. A functional border is absolutely critical to Arizona's long-term economic success. If you're interested in listening to the full conversation between Tony and Chuck, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts by searching for Rediscovering SB 1070. In the meantime, here's a bit of their conversation. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to go through all this with us. Um, what we really want to do is close the loop on the podcast series that we did earlier in the year on the legacy of Senate Bill 1070. And we ended that series noting that the 2020 elections were approaching and would pose sort of another test of the uh, public sentiment and, and sort of the after effects of all of that. So... In light of the elections ending, we wanted to hear from both of you and what to make of the recent elections, especially here in Arizona, and how, if at all, 1070 uh, may have helped shape the political coalitions that were decisive in the most recent elections. So let's start with the big question. 
Uh, Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump in Arizona and in the Electoral College. Uh, how significant were Latino voters, the people most impacted by SB 1070, uh, in that narrow outcome? Um, I think Latinos, uh, first of all, this state uh, was for the first time selected as a battleground state. Uh, so that was a big deal for us who have been organizing on the ground. Uh, I've been organizing for about 10 years. Um, with a lot of the other Latinos that have been pushing to get Latinos registered and out and actively voting. I think Latinos had a big um, margin in contributing to the overall uh, victory of the state, but ultimately there's plenty of more work to do, um, especially in, in cities like City of Phoenix. Uh, anything below McDowell has a very low turnout rate. And so we work a lot with organizations in those areas to make sure that people are participating, not only in their school board, but all the way down um, up to the presidency uh, to make sure that we can get representation across the board. Um, I, I would concur that there are, Biden's victory, as I've said a number of times, is a mosaic of reasons why that happened. It's not any one constituency or one part of it. Let's remember he won by 10,000 votes. The paper today had a big story about the 56,000 Navajos that margin up there. So let's all, it's obviously on a 10,000 vote uh, margin. It, it is, um, it's a mosaic of reasons. And I undoubtedly agree with Tony that there is portions of the Hispanic community, particularly younger, his generation, that are, have become, as this has been a source of activation for them. And he would know that better than I, but we see it in, demo, in demographic turnout numbers um, and the ability to mobilize those portions of the electorate that heretofore have not participated. But let's also remember that the Hispanic uh, constituency was also a target of the Trump campaign. And Trump did better in, in some of those because there are it's a traditionally as it gets older, it's traditionally more conservative. Second Amendment supporters tend to be a little bit more pro-life, uh, tend to be a little more authoritarian and, and police uh, focused. Uh, or public safety support. And there's a, I think, and I'd love to hear Tony's comment on this. I, I see a, a discrepancy between younger Hispanic voters and older Hispanic voters that can be exploited by uh, electoral narratives. And I thought I saw that in, in this cycle. Yeah, and I would absolutely completely agree. I think that that's also the challenge here uh, for us young organizers is that we are in a new wave, say per se, generation of, of thought process of, of seeing the world uh, being more progressive. Uh, but there is an enormous discrepancy between older generation Latinos and uh, younger Latinos. And the biggest work that organizations like, my, uh, like mine does and other organizations that are Latino led, uh, our number one um, goal is to get more people included in the process because the biggest discrepancy is that gap that Chuck mentioned uh, between 18-year-olds to 54-year-olds uh, that don't participate largely in elections. Um, and just as we saw these results, people had a reason to come out to vote this year. Uh, the biggest prerogative is getting them to have a reason to show up on every election, even, even transportation elections like we just had uh, here that is going to make a very big investment and difference in our local economy and and uh and ability to move around but absolutely i think uh latinos have 
been mobilized, are going to continue to be mobilized. And uh, our expectation and hope and goal is to keep pushing people uh, to show up in larger droves uh, throughout the election cycles. With President-elect Joe Biden's very narrow win, it didn't seem like there was a clear repudiation or a clear endorsement of some of these hardline immigration enforcement strategies and actions of the Trump administration. So where does that sort of leave us here in Arizona and those who have felt obviously very strongly about these issues for a number of years? I'll take a first shot at that. Um, I I think Arizona is a very unique state in that regard to the entire issue. Our we are um, our largest trading partner is Mexico. We have the largest border, um, I think, of any uh, state uh, with Mexico, um, and so it's critical to the state's economic growth that we have a functional border that produces legal trade and immigration, um, and. You know, the evolution, as you guys pointed out in this series, was that in 2010, it was demonstrable uh, that the border was being overrun, that it was not secure. One of the things that Trump uh, can uh, claim credit for is securing the border. Um, We've seen uh, a dramatic decrease in apprehensions um, and... uh, concomitantly, unfortunately, a dramatic increase in trade, um, which is devastating, I think, to the long-term prospects of the Arizona economy. And I think Arizona voters know that, and they know that it's a two-pronged approach that I've been speaking to since even 2010, that a, a functional border is absolutely critical to Arizona's long-term economic success and that includes security, because we saw, in, again, in 2010, uh, in those eras, um, massive amounts of human smuggling, which is a new moniker that we've subsequently identified uh, for illegal immigration. But human smuggling is now you know, a terrible thing, which was rampant in that period of time. And so that's been significantly diminished. But at the same time, unfortunately, we still haven't resolved the path to legal immigration. And I would hope that if Senator Kelly and Cinema have anything to say over the next two to four years, um, that would be a critical issue for them if they're to be successful in the future of claiming credit on critical issues to Arizona would be securing some type of immigration reform while not sacrificing border security. Um, And so, which is a really difficult tightrope to walk with many constituencies. We can see that with Sheriff Penzone being criticized by some of the most activist elements uh, in the Democratic Party, but we can also see him getting the most votes in Maricopa County. He's the embodiment of what practical immigration policy does look like, but he's just obeying the law. He has nothing to do with who can come in. That's where the federal government's role is critically important in defining a future of what this looks like. Tony, what about, do you have an opinion on this? I mean, do you think that this, um, these results, Biden's win, I mean, is that a repudiation or an endorsement of Trump's um, immigration actions? Or something else. 
I think it's, uh, it's absolutely something else. I think that this is an absolute human moment for the country uh, when it comes to immigration. I was fortunate enough to, to qualify for DACA, which absolutely revolutionized my life. It allowed me to do more. It allowed me to start a business which employs dozens of students every year. Uh, and so I think, um, I, I think that this result in the, in this, in the presidential uh, selection has a lot to do with the president's behavior, but a lot to do with the economy's insecurity through the pandemic and how we're going to bounce back. Um, and I believe that this election really had a little bit in my personal uh, experience had more to do with the dangers of politicizing the pandemic. And I think that that really got the country's attention away from a lot of the social issues that were impacted with as a growing economy as the number one power in the, in the world. But um, I believe this results we saw had a lot to do with the 10 years of organizing that Latinos have done. I think it had to do with a lot of uh, Democrats and some conservatives that wanted to see a change at the presidency. Uh, and that's my humble opinion. I believe that the this election was driven by a lot of factors that um, were outside of immigration, uh, even though that's my entire life. I, 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 uh, I, I joined politics for a fair amount of reasons uh, outside of immigration. And so I, I, I do believe in the conversations that I heard this year at the doors uh, my group hit over 100,000 uh, contacts, uh, either through phones or texts or, or maybe a door knock. Um, and voters wanted a change in leadership, but also wanted local uh, leadership uh, to deliver more um, in services and in what we all pay for tax. So I think that there's a lot more to do with the overall results of the state um, other than uh, just the driving force behind immigration. I do want to say uh, on Chuck's point about Paul Pinzone, I was part of his election twice uh, to get him elected. We fought very, very deeply to be represented by a sheriff that that did uh, follow the law and not uh, used the law to terrorize communities and separate families. And I think that that's uh, part of the result here is that we've mobilized not to elect the perfect representatives, but to elect representatives that would work with the community and would work uh, with existing policy um, to just really absolutely have a safer and more prosperous uh, economy. Uh, and I think that that's really what the entire push here this year was uh, in the election is that uh, we want people to participate so that they go back and, and, and uh, contribute themselves to the overall representation of of our state. And I think that that's what we saw. That's my perspective is that we saw a lot of people show up for the first time on election night. I'll close up with this quickly. On election night, 15 minutes before the polls closed, this gentleman came in, uh, 49 years old, African-American. And he told me, I was holding a, ra a rally sign for my candidate. And he said, this is the first time I've ever voted. Uh, and he was 49. And so I had a really big moment where I recognized that this is why there will forever be more work to do in, in representation is that until we get folks like that to have more than a, 
reactive reason to come out and, and vote for a new president. It's, it's about getting them to want to show up every election so that we have a better equal system uh, of representation. Well, listeners, that's all for today's episode of The Gaggle. If you're interested in listening to the full conversation between Tony and Chuck, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts by searching for Rediscovering SB 1070. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. And that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Seeley and Katie O'Connell with help from Maritza Dominguez. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more.